Thomas Sheridan, born in Ballymun, now living in the west of Ireland, is a published author and artist. Thomas gives YouTube lectures and broadcasts internationally on the subjects of the occult, paganism, uh, puzzling people, the liberate of psychopathy, sorcery, and invo- the invocation of strangeness, and the Druid's Code are some of Thomas's works. Um, welcome to Off Good Ireland, Thomas. Um, you've kept a lot of us entertained and sane during the last couple of years. Thanks a million. Well, I'm glad to be here, and, and thank you and, and everybody listening to the show. Good stuff, Thomas. Thanks a million. I just wanted to kick it off and start talking about it. It's kind of an occult term and your thoughts on it. And I have the heading here, um, egregore or mass formation. So I presume, do you want to, I have a definition of what egregores are here, or do you want to outline what that is and just your thoughts on what's capturing people's psychology or whatever? Yeah, that's, that's a great actual intro. Uh, give me your, give me your, uh, you you feel that the egregore is in relation to this topic? Well, yeah, I pulled um, I pulled a um, a quote from Mark Stavish. It's from a book, and it says the most commonly the commonly used definition is as follows: occult, autonomous, psychic entity composed and influencing the thoughts of a group of people. However, there is a second de- definition, an older, more significant, and perhaps frightening one. Here, an egregore is more than an autonomous entity composed of and influencing the thoughts of a group of people. It is also the home or conduit for a specific psychic intelligence of a non-human nature, connecting the invisible dimensions with the material world in which we live. This, in fact, is the true source of power of the ancient cults and their religious magical practices. That just came from Mark Stavish's book. Yeah, I would definitely agree with the second part, with the exception that, well, it depends on the cults. It would be, yeah, absolutely, but I would, in terms of what we've experienced since early 2020, I have no doubt and no qualms in saying that that's the exact definition of what I would call an egregore in relationship to what we've all been experiencing. It's, you know, let's put it this way, right? Let's talk about evil, okay? Now, evil can be subjective or relative. Um, by that I mean, and I may surprise some people, but think of it this way. If you're a, a shrimp swimming in the ocean and a whale swallows you up as part of its feeding, to you the whale represents an e- a form of evil because it's an existential threat. Okay, But to the, to the whale, the whale is just having his dinner. You know, he's just eating his food. He's, he means no one can and no harm to do to the shrimp. It's just purely nature, and he's doing what he's instinctively driven to do. Now, I've been meditating on this subject and say, if there was a non-human intelligence, and I'm not necessarily saying aliens or anything like that, I'm just saying there could be a force beyond even our comprehension that's either arrived in this dimension or planet and exists off it. And if, if it's here to feed on our energy, just as a source of food, naturally it would feel evil to us, but in its own sort of like evolutionary cosmology, it's just doing its thing. Now, I thought about that a lot, and I said, well, it's, it's definitely possible. What makes us think we're the, the only source of the top of the food chain? And there's, we all know there's other kinds of food as well, like energy and stuff like that. 
anyone who has had their ego brushed by someone complimenting them knows that there's a, an element of energy that it, 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 it nourishes you in some way. All you have to do is look at how babies who, who are not, you know, petted or, or given a hug in an orphanage, they will actually die. So there's an element of energy that's a transference of psychic energy that actually keeps us alive. And it may be that there are some kind of entities out there, egregorial entities, that literally live that way. But then I thought about it some more, and I thought, well, what if there was an intermediary that was operating knowing or unknowingly on behalf of this, this entity that had trained them almost to be like ranchers or farmers or, and they're actually the globalists. And the globalists are actually tormenting and us and making us suffer and making us miserable and just trying to destroy our lives and corral us and treat us like animals in order to release this pain, frustration, agony from every part of the process into this entity. Well, that would make the globalist, by definition, you know, moral evil, spiritual evil, whereas the, the force that they're serving is purely just uh, an evolutionary cosmological predator of some kind. So therefore, I would say it's a mixture of both. I have no doubt in, in I, I, I know I have no doubt in accepting that the, the globalists are both insane and evil in the actual traditional spiritual sense. Uh, just on that, like it's, I just I read just about the, I never heard of that term before the egregores. I think I don't know, maybe you touched on it in one of your videos a long time ago, but it's just in that book from Eric Stavish, I hit on it again, and it's like it just brought me back to a lot of what went on over the COVID, like the the ritualistic element, say you know bending over, getting the the prod up your nose, or that you know this kind of ritualistic aspect, and that these entities as well as a christian might look at them as you know fallen angels demons watchers or you know nature spirits if you're a new age or whatever but that they that they've created this thing that that, that and these entities feed on it is that kind of what or from the layman's view as well that i think in his book he mentioned that that even sports events and stuff like that where there's high energy where there's you know ritual there's dancing there's a, a high emotion that that these forces are they, th they thrive on that. Is that right? Or is that, am I right in saying that? Well, I'd say that goes a bit too far because there can be great joy and happiness at these events. You know, all we have to do in Ireland is remember how happy we were, we were during the 1990 and 1994 World Cups. There was tremendous happiness in this. That wouldn't be, that would be the same kind of energy. It's the negative energy that it feeds off. It's the anxiety, the depression, uh, the despondency, the darkest, the dark nights of the soul. This, you know, this seems to be the most potent form of energy we have in many ways, unfortunately. And that, you know, you'll always, you know, when you look back on your life, you you remember the bad things, and you wish you could forget them, because that's how profound they are, nesting with inside our our consciousness, uh, the things that made us unhappy and sad, or things mistakes we made which we never did feelings of guilt these are tremendously um and you know suffocating emotions at time when you're like lying in bed at night you know the old joke that you know you can't you can't remember the first girl you kissed but you can remember the first the first one that you you know that slapped your face or hated you or 
called you a name at two o'clock in the morning 50 years later you know it's that kind of thing and uh, so it's definitely negative energies they feed on because if it was if, if, if mark savage was right they'd be making us equally happy and sad but if you look at the last two and a half years the whole tr the whole thrust of the globalist has just been to cause misery in the human race absolutely no other purpose I think any of this ties into the idea you'd see in the New Age and stuff like this about this, you know, in Christianity you could say the end eschatology or in the New Age to talk about the age of Aquarius and all this kind of stuff. Is that, are the elites working, like are they working from something that maybe we're not aware of or, you know, astrotheological, you know, times and dates and stuff that we are missing? Like, are, do you hold any way to that, that they've decided that we moved into a new, new uh, age or something? Well, to them, obviously, they have the Great Reset and all that nonsense of their own, like, technocratic future. But in terms of, like, a spiritual dimension, I don't see it in any of them. I just think many of them are just, like, pathetic and animal animalistic in how they think and how they operate. I mean, there's, I don't, I don't feel, you know, I don't feel there's any great plan there like this. Now, being a pagan myself, I'm very aware of prophecies that are recurring cycles that happen within the history of human consciousness that cause human consciousness to reset again. And I actually believe that's what's happening now. If you look at them all, Ragnarok in the Nordic and the Germanic tradition, Anglo-Saxon tradition, uh, you have the, the Kali Yuga in the Hindu and Vedic world. And here in Ireland, we have the Dave's Prophecy issued at the Second Battle of Maitura three and a half thousand years ago, which when you read the thing, you can't believe what you're reading. It's actually Ireland today. It talks about, you know, a world where women, a land where women have no modesty, fields without produce, look at the globals are doing, fish, sea, fish, sea without fish, uh, you know, no man will take a lover outside his own home and this kind of thing. It, it, it talks about, you know, all the depravities that we're dealing with now. And in, we, you don't, in paganism, there's no apocalyptic culture where that, you know, it's the end of the world, like you have an Armageddon or the book of Revelation, St. John's book of Revelation in the, in the Bible. You don't have that. You have, it all has to fall apart in order to begin again. It's almost like, uh, it's almost like, you know, the way it's, it is, a, it's seen as a natural process in the same way. If you keep fat, if you keep working the same field, eventually it depletes its nutrients and it produces no, uh, no produce so what farmers do is they let the field go wild for a few years and then the natural plants and the wild plants put the nutrients back in the soil well consciousness works the same way we've reached a point now where consciousness has uh, basically turned into a form of i guess like black magic or something where it's actually destructive and the point is that it has to all fall apart and I don't believe that these globalists are deliberately doing it. I think they're actually, they're almost like uh, the ultimate NPC is they're robots that are just following a program. And I do believe that, we, you know, when you see the things today, like, you know, I mean, have you ever heard of a time, you know, we've all read about like ancient Rome and the so-called depravity and Caligula and things like that. In Caligula's wildest dreams, would would he have put his young son into transition because he caught him playing with a doll and this is what you know suburban families are doing today 
we're definitely at the end of that cycle. It has run its course. Now, this was also one of the things the globalists did, and you mentioned what you mentioned there about religion and religious rituals. They spent the last 50 years taking people's religion off them. And you were talking about things like not just like the, the decline of the churches and so on, but also things like having Richard Dawkins and Brian Cox and Richard Attenborough telling us that we're nothing more than biological animals. There's no, there's no soul to us. And they've been very successful in that. And therefore, human beings still have a desire to have ritual, have rich, a, a spiritual dimension. Even the atheists, they just won't admit it. And so what they did was, after taking all this stuff away, they gave it back to them in the form of the coronavirus lockdown, the restrictions. It was all ritualistic, as you know yourself. It was all religiosity. And that was deliberately done. And especially, it worked very powerfully here in Ireland, as we had, like, traditionally, you see, one of the great problems in Ireland is when the Catholic Church collapsed, there was no real spiritual void to fill it. So therefore, people were sort of like lost in the wilderness spiritually. And what the government here did, more probably more than any other country, was to give the Irish people their spirituality back in the form of, you know, social distancing, wearing masks, washing your hands. You know, it all became a kind of a thing. I remember when the vaccines were first coming to Ireland, they were like driven around the country like a tabernacle full of the Holy Communion coming into communities. This is why I think that the whole thing has worked so well on older people and older folks who grew up in a kind of a holy Catholic Ireland. They've actually given them back their old religion. And it was deliberately and cynically done. But at the same time, too, I only think that those of us who are the only ones, I think, that are really aware that there's some kind of spiritual battle flux event on this planet right now are people like us, regardless of what religion we are or what spiritual tradition we, we apply to. We're the only ones that can seem to see it. Everyone else is going blindly along with it. That's, that, that's what, from what I can tell. And that's, that we've noticed that here on this channel over the last few years as well, like, and people are coming from all walks and different uh, religions, and, or different, not even religions, there's atheists and all sorts, but there is something that unites us all together. It's that, I don't, I don't know what, I think you're touching on it there, that uh, they're harder to brainwash people who have, an alternative ideology or a, or some other kind of moral system, I think. Yeah, this the ideology of scientism, the technocratic thing. That's what they want to give them. That's what their new god is. And I mean, this is like a global thing. It's not just armed. You, know, you even see it in places like the Vatican and so on. That's what they want to give. Them. They want to, the, the machine god, the uh, you know the the, the AI non-human force which also has like spiritual dimensions in that in itself as well in that i believe that the ai can be infected by entities demons and stuff like that so uh, yeah i mean that's what's going on absolutely good stuff good stuff i have i have another i just want to ask you this first and then we're going to some other i want to touch on some work you've done you've done a documentary in the past um, around the, the occult grid in dublin and the layout i want to touch on that but just to ask you this question first um, left-hand path and right-hand path, can you describe the esoteric meaning behind these and how they relate or do they relate to political theory around the elite, maybe at the very top? Well, th it's a bit of a weird one, that one, because, I mean, 
in recent years, the whole left-hand path thing seems to have developed a kind of a trendy, a trendy aspect to it. A lot of sort of like edgelord type of cultists have gotten into it. And it doesn't seem to be that, that what I, I was raised to believe the left-hand path. I mean, the left-hand path to me was, you know, when I was growing up, I'd read books by Dennis Wheatley, not novels. And then later on, when I discovered Crowley and the likes of Dion Fortune and Austin Osmond Spare, they, they deliberately spoke as that the left-hand path is being black magic. And the definition of black magic being that you use occult powers. Now, when people say hear the word occult powers, they, it can be things like brainwashing. You know, we're not just generally talking about magic and spells and things like that. It can be things like uh, gaslighting. That's, gaslighting is a very pure form of black magic. And that's where I grew up with the left-hand path. But the left-hand path thing seems to be all over the place now. I, hear, I, I know Nordic pagans who call themselves left-hand path workers. So, But uh, as traditionally as I knew it, left-hand path was... Uh, was black magic. Now that may have come out of Abrahamic thinking, because in many, in several Abrahamic texts, not just only the the the, the Talmud, the Torah, but also in in the some Islamic texts and within you know Christian texts, there was a particular thing, a belief that the left hand of a person was the devil's hand. So that so it's so it's funny that these people call themselves pagans and yet they're putting a kind of a left you know an Abrahamic spin on things. Right hand would be, you know, magical workings for the uh, the benefit of humanity. I mean, I think Crowley said that, you know, the the only purpose, the uh, the only the black magic is the only black magic is the the magic that's not concerned with the development of itself. So, you know, I mean, a lot of people think like really bad things about Alistair Crowley and stuff like that. A lot of propaganda that he put out himself to build his reputation up. But his actual writings on the subjects are very interesting. He, he, he people don't really understand that he had a very strong Eastern philosophy to his work, and therefore he was putting across the idea in a very kind of a, almost like a yoga that um, that it, you, all your all your occult and spiritual workings, and even if you're a Christian or anything else, should be uniquely concerned with the development of you as a person, rather than to trying to change society. When you when you use spirituality to try and change others or change society, that's black magic. So, yeah, yeah, and they're using this all the time. They've, they've used black magic in the last, you know, three years to change us. Kind of like that NLP would be kind of a black magic, I suppose, you know, that neuro-linguistic programming that they use. Oh, absolutely. I've got a book on NLP from the 1970s, and it's called The Uses of Enchantment, sorry, The Uses of Magic. And that's, it's actually, it doesn't even hide the title. The uses of magic, you know, and it's a, it's a, the subtitle is like uh, NLP and the uh, the successful business model or something like that. But it actually goes and calls it magic. So yeah, definitely anything that's like, anything anything that you that someone does spiritually on another person without the other person and, and affecting the other person without their other person's permission is by definition black magic. There's definitely been a lot of that going on the last two and a half years, without a doubt, um, from all the mainstream media and, and the governments and whatever else. Um, well, Claire, just Claire, Bourne's, Claire Bourne's TV show on RT every night. Now, I didn't watch. I watched a few of them, and I heard what they were like. And I've seen clips from them. A Claire Bourne's show during the pandemic was the nearest thing to a mass black magic ritual that's been conducted in this country in its history. That was a pure... The, Claire Duffy tonight, whatever the show was, or Claire Byrne tonight, whatever the show was called, 
was a was a was a nightly black magic ritual, uh, and they do the same on the Late Late Show. Uh, uh, you know, to hex, to enchant, to bedazzle, and spellbound the nation. If you want, if you want to know who Ireland's number one black magicians are, they're Claire Bourne, Ryan Turberty, Pat Kenny, all the Muppets on News Talk. Uh, Joe Duffy's a spectacularly black magician. Now they don't study black magic. They're not in the involved in the occult, but what they do is by definition black magic. Uh, the, yeah, influencing people without their their being aware exactly. Um, I wanted to touch on that documentary that you've done, the the one there I have written here. You've done a documentary a few years back on the Dublin occult grid and the layout of different monuments on specific lines. Uh, this continues to this day with the new children's hospital, which is in the shape of the all-seeing eye. What's your thoughts on who's in the shadows building these things over the centuries that um, can only be seen from the sky or or a map once you once you connect all these lines together? You can also emotionally feel them as well. I, I'll tell you who. It's the Apollo Lodge. They're a Masonic Lodge based in Dublin that used to be on the site where Apollo House was on Hawkins Street, I think it is, or whatever that, that, no, that was a scandal about that building a few years ago. The homeless were living in it. It was. It used to be on that site. It's now based basically out of Trinity College. It's a loose association with a very powerful international lodge that started in Dublin and is a very big lodge in places like NASA in the USA and also the US uh, Navy. And uh, the Apollo Lodge is basically the group that laid out the geomantic uh, nature of the city of Dublin. Uh, the Grand Lodge of Ireland were more concerned with things. The, the Grand Masonic Lodge on Mulder Street, they were more concerned with the, the political thing, the, you know, the, the, the running the civil service. The civil service in Ireland under the British, you could be fired you, you have to make it, if you sign a note, you have to sign an oath with the civil service in Ireland that you are a member, you are not a member of any Freemasonic organization other than the Grand Lodge of Ireland. You could not get a government job in Ireland. I still believe that situation still exists with the senior civil service today in, the, in our you know, independent country. But you could not get a job in Dublin Castle unless you were a member of the Grand Lodge of Ireland. Or if you, if you did, you wouldn't get any... Uh, any real promotions in there. The Apollo Lodge, uh, well, this started for me when I was a kid. I used to, I, I, I used to uh, walk around the city and wonder about all these, sh there was all along Connell Street, there were fasci, which is the symbol used of ancient Rome. It's, it's an axe head in a bundle of sticks. There, I, wondered, I used to wonder about the Babylonian and Egyptian motifs on the Gresham Hotel and the bull's heads all over the north side. They're not on the south side which is very interesting, but they're all over the north side, around like the Ambassador Cinema, the Parnell Monument. If you go look, if you go stand underneath the Parnell Monument and look up underneath the table, there's a fasci underneath us telling us right there and then that he was involved in the Apollo Lodge. And, uh, and so on. So it was like, what does this mean? And I discovered basically that eventually in time, I realized that the, um, the, 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 the bullhead skull that's all over the city is called the Bucranium. And it's a symbol of the god Apollo. And if you go to the customs house, if you go, go, go to the customs house in Dublin and pretend you never knew that was a customs house and you are beholding a pagan temple straight out of ancient Rome. It's got the Bucranium. It's got all the ancient gods of Rome. 
all the other kinds of in interesting things like that. The Custom's House is a temple to the goddess Britannia, uh, but the interior of it is venerating the god Apollo. And so from that, I started to investigate the city's history and stuff like that and discovered right away that this city, the Dublin city, was basically a Masonic experiment. And how powerful they are today and how that goes on, I honestly can't say. In Ireland, I do know that the Apollo Lodge and both the Grand Lodge of Ireland are very powerful and influential all over the world, particularly the Apollo Lodge. Probably the most famous member of the Apollo Lodge was uh, Oscar Wilde, but he fell afoul of them somehow, and they basically he lost their protection. But then again, they're not generally involved in legality or politics. They wouldn't be involved in the four courts and things like that, or the law society. But the, the, the Grand Lodge of Ireland would be. So that's what that is. It's been laid out in a geomantic way in order to harvest certain energies into the city. It, almost, to bring pros Now, you see, if you go to the four courts and you look at the, sorry, not the four courts, the customs house, and you look at the dome on the top, you will see the goddess Britannia is pointing to the east. What that represents is that the wealth of Ireland is being extracted and sent to London. It was, this is what this is all about. She's actually like a radio beacon of the consciousness saying all the prosperity of this land is to be sent to London. And that's what that, that's what that, go, go, go walk down there the next time you're in Dublin city center and behold this temple, this, 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 this temple, this Masonic temple called the customs house. And, uh, I've been spent, you know, the, the, the new children's hospital. Yeah, obviously that's, that's remarkable. It even goes further. It's on a direct straight line with the Battle of Boyne monument up and up and up on the Boyne. It actually aligns with that perfectly. The, the, the monument is gone now. It fell down, I think, in an earthquake about 100 years ago. But the actual site of it, 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 it aligns perfectly with the Battle of Boyne. Now, remember, the Battle of the Boyne was basically the Hanoverian Kingdom taking over Ireland. And, that you know, this is the Dutch. And this is why one of the titles of the King of Holland today is, you know, King of Ireland. You never hear about that. And uh, the, the Hanoverians basically, what they, you know, what they call, what we call like the, you know, the whole thing about Britain has never been invaded since the Normans. This nonsense. They were invaded by the Hanoverians and the Dutch House of Orange in, you know, the late 1600s and they conquered England. And that's what the Dutch call it. They call those wars the conquest of uh, England and Ireland. And that's when the masonry really seemed to take off in Ireland around the, when William of Orange came and uh, especially in Dublin. But there's also masonry is very big all over the country. I mean, in, in Sligo to this day, there's still Sligo town, a small town. There's still five Masonic lodges. So, you know, it, uh, most Masons are not involved in anything weird or anything like that. A lot of them would just be like not the local kind of, you know, geeks and, uh, you know, anoraks trying to get trying to get ahead in business or that kind of thing or get off a parking fine or something. But in terms of something like the Apollo Lodge, it's just like, you know, a statement was made in the, in the, in the, in the House of Commons in 1890, and it said that, it, you know, a Sinn Féin member, it was 1890, sorry, sorry, it was later than that, the early 1900s, a Sinn Féin member of Parliament in London said that the most insidious and pervasive element within our society is Freemasonry. And I wonder how, how that's, why we, that's why Dublin ended up a very Masonic city.
Um, I was in the War Memorial there about a month and a half ago, and we were walking around it. I was looking at the, the, the obelisks and all the layout. And it never dawned on me, but about a week later, there was a video put up, and I wanted to ask you about this guy. He's Dirijnos Domini on YouTube. He does these ley line connections. And actually, the War Memorial in Dublin is a compass in a set square, if you look at it from um, the sky, which I, I walked around it that day, and not you would be absolutely blissfully unaware that, that you're actually walking on a massive, the whole park is a massive compass and set square. Um, which I, I, yeah, I well, imagine... it's, 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 it's referred to as the Grand Cross of Sacrifice. That's why, you know, that, that chap you're talking about in this channel, he's contacted me and asked me for a bit of advice and stuff like that. And he's definitely, he, he's, he's in the early days of learning, but I'm not going to interfere with him because he's already found things that I've missed. So he's actually, you know, he's, he's, he's in his apprentice stage right now, but he's doing, he's, doing, he's doing well. He's definitely on the right path. But uh, that's called the Grand Cross of Sacrifice. That's why the, that's why the monument, that block, you know when you're in the Garden of Remembrance, that block, not the Garden of Remembrance, the, the, whatever it's called, that block of granite in the middle has no names on it. Do you know that? Have you noticed that? There was no inscriptions or no names on it. You know why? Because the dead don't matter. The profane don't matter. And that's simply what that, that's why there's no names on that large granite in the Grand Cross of Sacrifice. They don't matter. What um, connection has those um, obelisks to um, ph phallic symbolism and uh, fertility cults, or is it? Are they connected? I heard some people say they're connected to Baal, or they're connected to the phallus of Osiris. Or am I right? I could be completely off, or I don't know. No, they're well. They're based on ancient Egyptian uh, obelisks. In ancient Egypt, they had the you know, Cleopatra's needle and all these. They had the Egyptians believed these things had great power, but it's funny. If you go into Egyptology and you know Egyptian occultism, there's not a lot of writing about it. Uh, I, I learned mostly about it on reading a Freemasonic Bible, which is a, a remarkable documents in themselves. And basically, they're considered energy conduits, and that's why they were t three of them were taken: one to the Vatican, one to London, and the third one, I think, in Washington D.C. And there's a few; they're big ones. And then there's a few others scattered around the world. But they discovered it that they're like radio antenna. They're like aerials, and they uh, they harvest energy. Now, the most famous one in Dublin is, of course, the Wellington Monument. Now, that thing used to frighten me as a kid when I used to walk underneath it. I don't know if you've been close up to it, but it has these freezes on the side of battle, famous battles that Wellington you know, fought in, like in the Peninsula Wars and Waterloo and so on. And they're made, those big bronze freezes are made from captured French cannons that were melted down at the, from the Battle of Waterloo. So they contain within them the actual death energy of uh, Wellington's army, you know, it in them. And they're all scenes of fellas dying and things like that. And it's, it's very sinister, especially when you consider that at the Battle of Waterloo, Wellington, who was Irish himself, well, he's, you know, of an Irish, Anglo-Irish family, he was born, he was from Dublin, uh, at the Battle of Waterloo, something like a third of his army was Irish. And after this horrific slaughter, when somebody asked Wellington, how do you feel about the British army today? All he could say was scum of the earth. These are fellows who died in their tens of thousands for him. And then what happened to their bodies, you don't even want to know about. They never tell you that part of history books. 
Don't tell us they took took out their teeth and were wearing them for the next hundred and fifty years, please. <laughs> yeah. Or worse than that, they just cut their they cut their heads off, boiled the flesh and fed it to pigs. Uh, all the pigs in Belgium were fed from the bodies of Waterloo. And what was left was the blood, everything else was scattered on the land and used as fertilizer. So that's what you get when you put on a uniform and you fight for your king and country. You end up as a pig feed or dentures or boat. Yeah, and there's there's a lot of uh, similarities between what happened here over the last two and a half years. People getting whipped up into these frenzies, you know, and which can lead to your demise. I think that's the, the kind of what you're touching on there, government. Yeah, well, 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 you when you when you're whipped up into a frenzy or a hysteria, you're no longer in charge of your own consciousness. You've lost control of yourself. This is why Eastern philosophy, uh, sort of like Eastern spiritual traditions, as well as like you know. The Western spiritual tradition very much focused on the idea of balance, maintaining decorum, uh, sort of calm, this kind of thing, internal calm. And that's one of the reasons they rattled the shite out of people during the, the pandemic was because when you have people hysterical, frightened, irrational, they have poor, poor decision-making skills. And what happens when you have poor decision-making skills? Well, you roll up your sleeve for a vax that hasn't been properly tested. Without a doubt. Um, let me see. Now, this is kind of uh, this. This is an interesting one here. I want to touch on. You said in your video there yesterday. Uh, you talked about possession yesterday in your video. I mentioned cannabis, which the government is moving to decriminalise. What do you make of the push for cannabis and psychedelics to go mainstream? Because you can't go on any mainstream podcast like Joe Rogan, Lex Friedman, any of them, take your pick, without DMT, mushrooms or ayahuasca being promoted. And there's talks of it being used for treating mental health. And I've read these substances have been used and are used for sham shamanism and shamanic initiations. Is there an elite agenda here to open people up to these forces or experiences? And if so, to what end? Yes, but we have to be very careful. It's not all negative or bad or anything Look, let's talk like the two different things cannabis and psychedelics are two different things the problem with the cannabis today is it's not the grass that the hippie smoked back in the 60s and 70s it is a highly potent subject su substance that with high levels of the active ingredient inside it it's basically what they call skunk. It's basically green crack. So, you know, it's nothing like what the hippies had back in the 60s. Or, you know, we hear about Bob Marley and stuff like that. Now, it's being promoted like the crack clappers now. Uh, because they know that people who smoke this stuff regularly, basically their brains dissolve. Basically, they lose their will to challenge any such thing in life and all they want to do is skin up and uh i don't i know there's people out listening to this out there who like are regular users are probably losing their minds when i say this but I, it's an absolute catastrophe in many working class neighborhoods around our cities and towns where you literally have all the young men stoned out of their heads in england it's a, a huge problem a gigantic problem uh they they, 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 they basically you know or in urban areas and it's cut, it's here in Ireland as well, but not to the same degree. And that's basically, it makes them compliant, lazy, unable to fight back. Uh, so it's, it's, it's a kind of a, 
it's a kind of a <coughs> excuse me <coughs> an energetic castration uh, that it actually cuts off the the war the battle rage the fucking battle rage people have all been saying where's the irish man been in the last three and a half years where is that famous fighting irish spirit gone the battle rage the thing that used to be make us feared and notorious all over the world and also you know greatly recruited for that ability we had to fight where is it gone well it's gone up in smoke of the smoke it's gone up in poor diet and uh, you know vegan diets this kind of thing right so that's the cannabis legalization agenda is two things to make money for tobacco companies and b to basically turn the population into further even more zombies the uh, thing with the hallucinogenics it's a very complicated subject now first of all magic mushrooms psilocybin mushrooms have been used in ireland for thousands of years and not necessarily as you would always say like oh for hallucinogenic experiences for shamanic this that and the others it has been well established that microdosing on psilocybin mushrooms which which unlike say ayahuasca or peyote actually exists in ireland you don't have to like go to peru or new mexico to get it does help with depression and anxiety that's actually been proven it helps people take the edge off and this has been used we used to have a, a tradition in ireland called fairy doctors they were banned by the medics by the, by the freemason freemasons in 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 medicine about 200 years ago who made them illegal but they used to go around the country up until say the time of the famine and they used to actually help people deal people with depression and things like that and they were like basically shamans really that's that's really really what they were shamanic doctors and uh, medicine men in the kind of native american tradition and uh, so yes but like taking this stuff to get spiritual well there's something wrong with you because you should be able to get to a spiritual state without having to take that stuff and having taken lots of it myself i've had i've done many hallucinogenics uh, the, it is it was an amazing experience it gave me some artistic inspiration but did it make me a better spiritual more a greater person no no and that's how it's being sold now this all started about 10 years ago with a film called the the spirit molecule the spirit molecule contained all these establishment types who took a drug called ayahuasca which was a basic a dmt is the actual chemical derivative from it that caused them to have hallucinogenic experiences that were like you know the greatest thing that ever happened blah 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 and it was shoved down to people's throats that you must get you must get this you must get that the thing that people don't realize and it, and it's not even hidden is on the back of the book and on the back of the dvd the sponsor is the scottish right of freemasonry i will leave it at that and make people decide their own deductions yeah thomas just on that because I, I look look i have a conspiratorial mind but i just like joe rogan for example massive platform you cannot tune in without hearing about ayahuasca or DMT. You cannot. You could. You could do your best to look for one episode where it's not mentioned to millions of followers every week. You will find it hard. But just in some of the, I seen Dr. John Campbell. You know that fella. He done a, a thing that they want to replace SSRI um, antidepressants with DMT, like guided. It's like a guided 
um, experience. You know what I mean? It's very initiation, initiatory kind of shamanic kind of thing. You go in with a guy, he, he goes on them. But the moral of the story is 50% of people who are atheists who take ayahuasca are not atheists afterwards. Now, what they believe in, you know, is up for debate, but it changes them, you know, profoundly away from atheistic ideology, at least 50% of people. Yeah, I don't know about that. I mean, uh, yeah, maybe that's what they say. I know a lot of atheists who took it and said, oh, that was interesting. That was as far as it went for them. I think it's one of those things that you get what you give into it. But, uh, yeah, I mean, they, they want to get into our consciousness. You have to remember this. They, 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 I mean, I don't know if Joe Rogan has a sinister e en, you know, element in that regard. I don't think he does. I mean, I haven't seen it yet. I think Joe Rogan is probably just a stoner. He's just obsessed with getting stoned. And have you ever been friends with a stoner or lived with one or knew one? Literally all they talk about is getting high. That's literally all they talk about. It's one of the reasons I'm against it. I think that's probably what's going on with Joe Rogan. I, but then again, he's open to you know, sinister interjections, I guess, on these kind of things. But yeah, I mean, don't, you know, if they, any way they want to get into your consciousness, either through propaganda, gaslighting, Claiborne's, terrorizing the shit out of old ladies on RTE, DMT, ayahuasca, psilocybin mushrooms, a chip in your brain. You know, red flags. It's always a red flag because it's, it's black magic. It's not for your benefit. It's for the one who wants you to take it is wants you to take it for their benefit. Yeah, I definitely agree with you on that. See, I was going to tie it into it, and maybe I'm completely off, right? But just from some of the stuff I've read, say these guys... If you put it into context, you're, you have a, a calling for spiritualism or whatever else. Say you're in a, a tribe, you're a shaman, you've been called out as a shaman. You go through this sickness or crossing the abyss or... And I've read a book here. Um, it's about... I'm looking for the name of the book, book here. It's... Uh, let me see. Can't actually see it here. But basically what they're saying is that... And I have references here. Say... The horrific cannibalistic murder of pro-life activist Saviero Belante, an Italian national, in relation to the killing of Tom O'Gorman. Now, I'm not making any inferences here. That guy heard voices in his head. He had religiosity ideas. He used to articulate himself like Jesus on the wall before he moved to Ireland. And then you've got Yusuf Pellini, who, who murdered the two homosexual guys down the country. And I'm just wondering, like, and I go to the immigration thing, and I know it's a bit off, but, like, People, if they're opening themselves up to these things with ayahuasca, or it can be done with heavy meditation, or maybe, you know, repeating your prayers, like, and I don't know, I'm, I, I just see that there's connections between some of the stories behind some murderers, like Jeffrey Dahmer and stuff like this, and people relate them to the, the shamanic journey, but it's like they fell off the road and turned into murderers. Am I making sense in that? No, I know exactly what you're talking about. It's a very good point. You know, shamanism is a very real thing, okay? It's a very real part of our human story. And what shamans were, and they were in Ireland, that's who, you know, that's who would have been a precursor to the, Dru the Druids. They were essentially individuals who had a gift who could take, the go into the spirit world, usually as a, taking the form of an animal, dressed as an animal, whatever, and get information from the spirit world that was outside the current uh, space-time continuum. So they could get information from the future and the past. And it is real. I know it's real. Now, we live in a time where every gobshite with a spliff in his mouth 
or, or, or a, a bong is calling themselves a shaman. Shamans were like the druids in Ireland. Were, when someone says to me, I know this person is a druid, and I says, well, he's full of shit, they don't exist anymore. Druids and shamans and, though, and the satyrs of the Norse world ran in certain families. That it was a belief that it passed on from one generation to the next. So the idea of going to, say, an indigenous society and saying, oh, I'm a shaman. Really, how, how did that happen? Oh, I did a weekend workshop in uh, West Cork. You know, and that's what's going on. And that's where a lot of that shite is coming from. People who are not spiritually adept at to, to take these incredibly deep dives. They go in and instead of swimming with the mystic, they drown with the psychotic. That's pretty much, I just picked it up here. It was Peter Levenda's book, Sinister Forces, a grimoire of American political witchcraft, uh, book three, The Manson Secret. He says, uh, the horrifying visions of the shaman in training are nearly identical, if not identical, to those that obsess the serial killer. The dismemberments, the excruciating pain, the visions, the voices in the head, the bloodlust, it is, as Iliad points out, tantamount to psych psychopathy, pathology. In the case of the shaman, he's eventually cured of his disorder, even though it may last for a long time. His society understands what's going on. They have mechanisms for dealing with it. The shaman will be a valuable addition to society after the cure, because then he will be able to communicate with the spirit world to intercede for his neighbours and foretell the future. But he says the crucial difference between a shaman and a serial killer may be that the latter has externalised the psychological process, what for a shaman, as well as for the artist, the poet, the musician, is an internal nightmare of hallucinogenic proportions, uh, becomes in the hands of the serial killer a dreadful reality. And I wonder about these forces in the egregore and all these things. Like, say, for example, we bring in devout, with thousands upon thousands of devout, say, I don't want to be pointing fingers, but say Muslims or Islam, Islamic people, like... Are they are they more open to influence to get these these forces attacking their their psychology and down the road could we have these people whipped up into some kind of religious zealotry that that become you know it becomes dangerous to the society? Okay, I'm going to take this to a place that I have to be very careful how I use my language. I I know, I've met and known and been friends with many Muslim people and Islamic people, and there's some of them were the, some of the greatest human beings I've ever known. However, because of the nature of Islam and the part of the world that it comes from, particularly not the Middle East and in particular Arabia, it's associated with a a a third force on this planet that are called the jinn, D-J-I-N-N. And this is taken extremely seriously within Islam. You never hear them really talk about it, but it is a big thing. They take, they, they see possession of an Islamic person as take as the jinn having taken them over. The jinn, they, they're almost like they're fairies. They're, they're demons. They see the jinn as a an entity that exists in outside of not it's not humans. It doesn't it's not a part of the but it, it has the ability to enter a human being and cause a human being to do things to do bad things. 
Now, they're pre-Islamic, but they're central to Islamic philosophy. In the same way, the Kabbalah is, is central to Jewish, uh, Jewish Orthodox Judaism. Now, this opens an enormous kettle of worms. Muhammad had his vision, possibly, even if you look at the Quran, a blinding light. This is how the jinns appear. So he may have had a whole religion that was based upon the manifestation of a jinn. And that doesn't mean that these people are all possessed or anything. They're not, of course. They're aware of the dangers of these things. And Islam has put tremendous work, spiritual work, into itself as a religion in order to combat the effect of the jinn. There is the probably previous to the last 20 years, the only possibility of these jinns coming into Ireland would probably have been Berber pirates raiding the set the cork the coast of Cork back in the 1500s, down around Kinsale and that part of the world. They actually they actually stole the entire population of uh, I think it was Baltimore one night down in Cork, and uh, they basically had depopulated the south coast of Ireland and the south coast of Britain from sl uh, these Islamic slave raids. So that would prior to that, that prior to what we have now, we would have never had that before. The jinns infect damaged people. Now I've spoken extensively to. I have a lot of because of my pagan thing. I have a lot of followers in the United States military. Who there's a surprising amount of uh, a surprising amount of pagans in the U.S. military, and they write to me and they become friends with some of these guys, or they're they're ex-servicemen, and they told me that after the Gulf War. A lot of those guys came back from the Middle East, changed people, and it wasn't post-traumatic stress, and it wasn't as a result. Even ones that worked in canteens and never saw, never saw a day of combat in their life or a dead body, came back a very different person that their own families didn't recognize them. And some of these guys who are in the pagan circles or in the U.S. military have told me that they believe that they brought back jinns with them from the Middle East. Now, you cannot import large numbers of people with a certain spiritual tradition and not expect that spiritual tradition, both good and bad, to manifest itself within the society. And that's all I'm saying. Uh, fair play. No, you, you better on the, you, you trashed that one out fairly well. Yeah, the gin. Yeah, I've heard, I was chatting to a couple of lads come on here a few times and they, they, were, they talk about that, the, the Muslim guy. Um, yeah, no, I just thought it was fascinating that that's the jar like you know that there's a there's a similarity between some of these people who have the mental breakdown and then it can yeah. go horribly wrong into murder. Does you it, know, the, not all of it, them. It, a book I can recommend recommend to your listeners is written by a remarkable American author. She's dead now. Sadly, she died after she started talking about the gin called Rose. Her name is Rosemary Ellen Guiley, and she wrote a book called The Vengeful Gin. If you people want to understand the concept, I suggest you go and buy it. It is a fantastic read. And she lays it out in such a way the Western mind can easily absorb it. But uh, strangely enough, she had, she had an interesting story. She was basically um, a paranormal investigator. And she had investigated ghosts and demons and UFOs. She wrote a phenomenal book on demonology. And she then once... She... Uh, she started to discover the jinn, 
And after a while, she said to herself, you know, this is everything. This is the subject. And she would go and she would say, this could be behind so many of the dark paranormal or spiritual events in the world. And funny enough, she dies mysterious of a fast acting cancer almost immediately after she published the book. And uh, it was very sad. And the scary thing is another artist in America was a personal friend of mine and of Rosemary Gell Ellen Guiley. She was supposed to introduce me to her because Rosemary Ellen Guiley had read my book, Puzzling People, and was a big fan of my work. And so was this other lady. And this lady died as well. So it's a dark, it's a, it, I'm not going to say it directly was connected to investigating and sort of publicizing the concept of the gin. But I got news for you. It, it wouldn't surprise me if it was. Uh, yeah, it's just, I just, just thought, you know, we have, you think of these things, you read some of that literature and it kind of different ideas pop in your head. Like, just we touched on your man there, the the Domine YouTube channel. Like, he drew a connection between, I don't know if you've seen it, between the moon, uh, the phase of the moon and the Crimea Bridge explosion and the explosion that happened up north where the 10 people died. Like, it's way too, it's too coincidentally to be... You know, like what's yeah, your thoughts? That, that, that? That, that doesn't necessarily that the ones who are doing it deliberately did it on purpose. I mean, I don't know a hell of a lot about astrology, but when I talk to astrologers who, who do know their stuff about these things, they say that the people who do it are affected by the actual cosmological changes rather than they actually waited to do it. Now, Freemasons do free. You know, you, you can be sure that when the spire of Dublin was put there on that day. Uh, whatever day it was incorporated, that was actually done to an astrological event. And many other things in Ireland we would have found that were done like that. But I think when it happened, yeah, it's possible. But you have to remember, it's not always by, by design. Sometimes it's by, it's simply by the stars are in the right place, as H.P. Lovecraft said. The stars came right. Yeah, that's well. That's kind of what I was t thinking. About, like the idea we're talking about, the, the these unseen forces, that you know, egregore or whatever else. But like, the 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 beheading the double beheading of the two um the two gay guys that was um the Passover uh, weekend you know what I mean it's very coincidental but obviously we're not saying that those like the, in my mind that that's, that, 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 that's two that's that's two completely different religions they're not even related they're actually enemies so it wouldn't be that uh but there is like you know the, the, the Eid I think is around that time or Ramadan Ramadan yeah Ramadan and that's the actual sac you know so. I don't know if he, I think that guy was just nuts. The more I read about him, the more I heard about him. I mean, it just happened not far from where I live. I think that guy was just, just went nuts. It, it, you know, I'd whether, but he may have, there is an interesting story that he went over to Turkey and was radicalized. Maybe he went over to Turkey and came back with a gin, but I don't think he was doing it to any kind of ritualistic thing. I just think he was just, he just came back with this entity inside him. Yeah, I'd agree with you 100%, but I, look, personally, I think there's something, there's maybe some outside forces influencing people unknowns to themselves or something. That's just my own opinion. Because oh, no, no, I, 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 I'm, agreeing, I'm agreeing with you. Like, I absolutely agree with you. But I don't think he sat down and said, it's now a religious festival. I now have to do this. I just think it, 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 it would be forced just to control when they were ready. No, yeah, I agree with you 100%. It, there's no way he, he knew about the, the astro or whatever, the, the dates and times and all that. 100%. Well, Thomas, we're near the end of time there. We'll just take a few questions. Um, it's a brilliant uh, conversation. I can talk to you all night. Um, we'll just take a couple of questions there if anyone wants to, if anyone has any. Have you a couple of questions? For yeah. 
Yeah, I have I have a few questions there for Thomas, if you doesn't mind. Um, the first the first one would be it would be in relationship to that um, event uh, that took place with the globalists recently. I think it's called COP twenty seven. Um, they they've seem to have had two major fails, uh, two major false flags there recently, both the Nord Stream and um, the bombing in Poland, and. Recently, with them parading on TV there in their Miami Vice um, shirts and that, they seem to have become faces. And do you think? Do you think um, that they're running scared now? And secondly, uh, what did you make of the Chinese premier dressing down Justin Trudeau on um, at this event? And why we were why were we allowed to see this? Well, I spoke about this the other day. You have to remember that these guys are criminals. Well, when you see the globalists at things like COP20 or Davos, what you're looking at is, you know, it's like the old, ga- like the gangster films, like The Godfather, where all the capos and all the godfathers from the gangs get together. That's what these events are. They're gangsters. Now, something has happened and it's rattled the pistol out of them. And what you saw with them in those stupid Hawaiian shorts and all that stuff was nervous breakdowns. They're losing it. And what the Chinese premier did to Trudeau that day was like uh, the kiss of death. It was deliberately done on camera to humiliate them. That was the, the mafia kingpin Don dissing down and dressing one of his capos. That's what that was. That's all that was. Something happened there. That's inf- Something has happened behind the scenes that's, that's, that's thrown everything into chaos. It's probably P- Putin. The, the two false flags flopped enormously. Even people I know who are straight-laced and, uh, you know, you know, normies, whatever, both laughed when they heard the Nord Stream was done by the Russians and the uh, this missile was fired by the Russians. So it's they're, they're losing control. And now, like, all mafia gangs... You remember the movie uh, Goodfellows? And that happened, this happened... That was a true story. When the... When... Uh, when... James Conway, played by Robert De Niro, re- t- got paranoid that the, that they, there was there was going to be people squealing on him that he was behind the the, the Lufthansa heist that in the airport. He start they started killing everybody in the gang so they wouldn't go to the cops. Well, that's what you're seeing at Cop of Twenty. That's what you saw with Justin Trudeau. It's a mafia organization, and that's and actually I don't like saying that because the, the mafia are far more honourable than any polit- political party or group on this planet. But the mafia, that, that's what that is, a criminal gang that's that's falling apart and they're all turning on each other. And they wanted the camera on Trudeau as a warning to the rest of them, that the, that the, 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 the Chinese guy wanted that camera on him, to a warning to Ed to deliberately humiliate him. And that's what you, that was it. That was, the, that was one of the dons dressing down another capo. That's all that was. Also, Thomas, my second question to you is, um, do you think the, the cosplay Masonic groups, um, you'd see them, you'd see them particularly around Newgrange with their white, with their white robes on and doing all of these uh, rituals, you know, around, um, the, some of the pagan holidays and that. Do you think, do you think they, they, like they're pretending they're druids, druids at that. Do you think they actually ruin um, the the path of uh, of true pagans uh, by by having all this sh- excuse the word all this nonsense? 
Yeah, 100%. They're just prancing Nancy boys. That's all they are. The same with the Wiccans. Uh, you know what a pagan looks like in 2020? Like me. If the pag- if this country never became Christian, what would Irish people look like if they were pagans today? They wouldn't be walking around in white robes and with holly crowns and wearing a staff going, you know, my name is Marilyn Cucullin or some shit like that. They'd be named Thomas Sheridan, Jimmy McGinty, Paul O'Brien, and they would just be like any other person you met. Because we know this because, look, at you know, India remained pagan, Hinduism, and they're just like, you know, any other Indian is just like any other person in, you know, in the modern world. So that, so these ones who prance around in their robes and their staffs, uh, these cretins and creeps, uh, they, they, are, they, they actually do more to damage the image of paganism than, say, like evangelical Presbyterian ministers that's screaming from the pulpit and say, port it down. They actually do worse for us. Uh, they give a terrible impression of us. They, what they practice is basically Kabbalistic base. So basically, they call themselves uh, pagans, but they're practicing a form of like uh, Judaism, basically. And the same with the, uh, and I'm, I'm not putting down any religion here, the same as the, the Wiccans. And yeah, I mean, if, if, you know, as soon as someone tells me, oh, my sister, oh, she's a Wiccan or she's a Wiccan, I say, oh, they're not pagans. Oh, he's a Druid. No, not. the Druids all ended in Ireland. With the the end of the Gaelic laws, the last the Fila, who were secular Druids, went went off at the the flight of the Earls. No, no, there's not. They're liars. They're they're just complete cosplay larpers. That's all they are. And they uh, they 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 trivialize something. You know, they, they 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 really are a terrible PR uh, thing for. but have these, these spiritual beliefs inside us that we don't push on other people. Good stuff. Um, just a question there from Dove. Um, hi, hi, Thomas. How are you doing? Um, what I wanted to ask you about was I wanted to bring you back to kind of Newgrange. Uh Researchers are using, they have used DNA sequencing to shed lights on ancient cultures. So during this kind of, they found genetic makeup of an adult male buried in the heart of the kind of ancient Newgrange passage tomb. So, and it, it indicates that they were among a kind of a ruling social elite and it was inbred in a kind of similar way to say Inca godlike kings and Egyptian pharaohs. Do you think there's a link there, or is there a link to Egyptian pharaohs? Or, or what? It, have you heard that line of thought, or uh, what do you think yourself of this? Well, the, the, it's all nonsense, really. Now, the DNA, the, 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 uh, you have to remember the new range is about, is about 2,000 years older than Pharaonic Egypt. So, to say that our ancestors who built the new range came by way of the Egyptian pharaohs is a gross insult to our ancestors, just like saying Newgrange was built by space aliens. Now, the builders of Newgrange may have had a DNA link back to the Middle East, but they were proto-Europeans. Their proto-Europeans were the very first ever Europeans. The ones that came to Ireland arrived in Ireland by way of Iberia. That's why there's so much Spanish DNA in, um, well, they call it Spanish, Iberian DNA with Irish people. 
and then via Sardinia, and then from, you know, Sorry, Thomas, we're losing you there. Called the press, called the British Israelites, who were a Presbyterian sect that existed in the late 1800s, early 1900s, that were desperate to try and link Ireland with the Holy Land in order to make this, or so that they could prove that the Irish were one of the lost tribes of the, the Bible. And they were such idiots, they, they didn't even understand the names of places. So they said things like, uh, the Tua de Danon was the tribe of Dan, not Daniel. No, the Tua de Danon literally means the tribe of the goddess Danu, Danu an ancient Celtic goddess. This kind of nonsense. They were actually at one time, one of the reasons we cannot do a proper geophys survey of Tara is because the British Israelites, all these like wealthy Presbyterian talks, most of them English and American, dug up Tara looking for the Ark of the Covenant and caused colossal architectural damage to it, looking for a, a fictional Jewish box. Uh, believe it or not, the first president of Ireland, when he was the head of the Gaelic League, Douglas Hyde, actually had to pull a revolver on him to stop him from doing it. So this whole thing that Ireland, Ireland comes from the pharaohs and all this, it's absolute, it's the kind of thing you hear on the Orange Lodge, Orange Order Lodges on the you know, on on the Saintfield Road and, you know, County Down. It, it's not, it's it's nonsense, all of it. Well, thanks, appreciate that. But, 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 but also, Dove, that it's a good thing, because now you, we now, we, 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 we respect and fully understand the magnificence of our real ancestors, who are Irish people. Yeah, absolutely, yeah. Even there, you have a question and then we'll wrap it up. There, Stephen. Cheers. I just said I'd uh, pop in and say hello again to you, Thomas. Um, haven't spoke to you since the time you come on our podcast, but uh, what was I going to say to you? The, uh, the topic of um, the British Israelitism comes up quite a lot whenever you South go back. Irish. And- Irish for 6,000 years, right? And now we're told, oh, well, you have to give that up. Wave a rainbow flag and call yourself a citizen of the world. And that, that is a hill I am willing to die on to make sure it never happens. They're not going to take my ancestors away from me. And everyone listening to this show should feel the same way. Actually, a topic I wanted to hit um, on with you was that because we ran out of time and maybe we'll do it again in another. Just because uh, Michael Tessarian talks, you know, about this atonism, but it, I've read some of this British Israelism books. Actually, I have loads of books on it and there's no point in lying. Um, and, you know, there, there's connections they draw between, say, the Druids with their breastplates and uh, the breastplates of these Levite priests. But Michael Tessarian kind of draws similarities, but then he doesn't connect them to the biblical thing he talks about atonism and stuff like that there's, uh, and there's a Phoenician connection as well but I, I know it's a, probably have no time now to, to go into it and what, uh, He's culturally British, he was raised in the Orange Order world in the north he's, uh, part, his, his uh, understanding of Irishness comes from like you know the, the lodges of Belfast it's you know 
that's his culture. I'm not putting him down. That's where he is. What does he know about Ireland, really? He wasn't raised in this part of Ireland. He, and he can't even pronounce things like two of the Damon properly, not because it's not his fault. He grew up in the north, and they didn't teach him about that in school. He calls it Tawatha Day Danan. And uh, this concept, again, remember, he was basically a product raised to promote theosophy in Ireland. And that's nothing wrong. That's his own business. I'm nothing against him in this whole spiritual tradition. But when he distorts Irish stuff and tries to bring it back to the Middle East, I, I, you know, I don't, I don't appreciate that. Like, you know, we are a very distinct culture. We, we are not failed Jews. We are not failed Egyptians. We, no more than we are failed Englishmen. We are Irish. And we really have to start getting away from all this British Israelite nonsense and accepting ourselves for what we are. Because what we are is pretty fucking amazing. Good stuff. Do you have another question there, Stephen, and then we'll just leave it. Sure, we'll, we'll, see if, uh, we'll see if we can get you there now, Thomas. Can you hear me, Thomas? Yeah. Perfect. Good to hear you again. How are you, Stephen? Um, the British-Israelite thing comes up quite a lot, and I think it is very important for all the people of this generation who've kind of awakened to go back down that road and realise what happened in our history, where, where large portions of Irish history have been stolen from us and, and, and erased. Um, by by, I would call the the twelve the twelve apostles of Saint Patrick, as we talked about this before. It looks like all of Irish history has a, a bottleneck, and it went through the hands of twelve people who who converted it into, I would say, Christianized uh, versions of our stories. And try try trying to get in touch with what happened before that to me feels very important. Well, that's why the, the, the Royal Irish Academy is hiding 900 books of our history. There's 900 ancient manuscripts that the Royal Irish Academy are holding in both London, Dublin and Belfast, and they won't release them. Why? Because that's, I know that's the real story. So they have gatekeepers in the Royal Irish Academy who say things like, nothing in Ireland happened before Christianity. We're a bunch of animals and savages. And then we say, well, how do we know? And they go, well, we just know. And so let us see the 900 books. Oh, we don't have the money to translate them. It's too complicated and too expensive. And then you have the Jesuits in places like Manute who say the same thing. They're both working together, the Jesuits and the uh, the British Israelite Masonic types in the Royal Irish Academy. The, the Loyola Institute. But we get hints them. of our real history. Yeah, we get hints of our real history, Stephen, when we read the documents by the Romans. The Romans were extremely interested in Ireland. Uh, this is nonsense that they had no interest that, in us. That, that's actually where I got a lot they, of my information from. Uh, the the yeah, Roman they, transcripts and, of uh, deliveries. They, they, they collected copper from our shorelines. And they well, they actually were here. Cobalt. They were actually here. They were actually yeah. here. There was, very, there was very complex trading between Ireland and Roman Britain. And Tacticus and Pilney both wrote extensively on Ireland. And this is nonsense. We're even told lies, like even things like, well, nobody knows nothing about the Druids. And then they'll cite the British records where we have vast archive, archival material on the Druids in Ireland. You see, the whole thing is controlled by a weird kind of, sorry, I'm not putting down Protestants, but it's kind of like um, Orange Lodge, Freemasonic sort of, um, I don't know, Elite Anglo-Irish elitist kind of thing. That is that that, that basically 
wants us to not believe that we're, we were amazing before the, before Christianity because they've kind of taken ownership of it. I'll give you an example. There, uh, you, you go to the National Museum of Ireland and you will see the most incredible work in gold. You, it's astounding. It's like microscopic uh, engineering from the Bronze Age. And then they'll show this this piece of jewelry or whatever that has these like it looks like it was done with a laser or a, or a micro you know a laser powered lathe or something, and then they'll show a picture of a fella dressed like a, a Polynesian South Sea Islander with a grass skirt wearing it and saying that's what the Irishman looked like in the Bronze Age. So they can produce this incredible gold, this incredible engineering, micro engineering, but they they couldn't. They, the only clothes they had was a uh, grass skirts and they lived in a mud hut. There's so much nonsense about our ancient history, but it's all done. I mean, I notice Christians listening to this, but St. Patrick never existed. He was invented by a an, an, an Akronite priest called Aid of Sleppy. And it's all on record. It's not hidden. Who, who wanted to create an Irish in bandages nine, 700 years after his alleged existence. What St. Patrick was, was the Roman invasion of Ireland. Instead of using Roman legions, they used Christianity. That's basically what it is. Stuff, Thomas. If I could run one, 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 one quick point just to finish that off, Thomas. Past it. This, this, this would be very interesting to, to hear your take on this. There's lots of books written by I would say I would call them Anglo-Irish um, writers who who kind of went back and compiled their history from all of the documents given to us by the um, you know the the same Patrick kind of uh, types back in the day. And uh, one of the things that they documented was the ceremony of coronation of the kings, which I think is totally constructed of the high kings um, to try and try and draw a path from Israel to the to the, the crown of England right now, because they, they inserted Egyptian uh, like staff holding and uh, yeah. like refer, referring to it with certain words. And, you know, like uh, what are you familiar with the high king coronation of Ireland? process yeah that, that's all masonic that's that that was all freemasons writing that that's all that was that, that's all masonic you know if you if you study freemasonry it's it's basically a method they use to try and resurrect egyptian spirituality ancient pharaonic egypt spirituality so all that and that connection is there that was all written now even the the irish annals and all the other books that you know and so on you know the book of invasions and you know all the other mythological cycles they were all heavily editorialized by christian monks but i think effectively on the whole there's a lot of truth in them because you start looking at them comparatively to other european pagan mythology and things like hinduism that's what my book the druid code was about you start to see okay they the early christian monks were actually quite sympathetic to ancient ireland uh mainly because it was a way of trying to transfer the people over. It wasn't, and that's the way it stayed, more or less, until the late 1700s when basically basically Freemasonry took over everything. And that's that's when all this Egyptian nonsense of, you know, Scosi and all that crap came in. Yeah, it's interesting to hear your take on that because I'm researching that uh that exact ceremony at the moment for another reason, but uh, thanks, thanks for clarifying your thoughts on that. Yeah, thanks for uh, coming on, Thomas. Uh, Finn said uh, you were chatting. Finn, she said um, she can't talk there, but she she says thanks a million for coming on. And um, okay, it's great having you. 
Well, thanks very much, guys. And I really enjoy this conversation. It's one of the best I've done in a long time. And for me personally, and uh, my best wishes to you and off grid Ireland and all your listeners. And, uh, you know, what we have, we hold and we'll, you know, feck him if they can't take a joke and we'll, we'll, we'll get through this shite. And there's a second uh, renaissance waiting for us on the other side. All we have to do is like uh, maintain calm and believe. Thanks, Thanks Thomas. Night, everyone.